Hello, this is Charles Wiz. And Tony Silva. Again, it's Charles Wiz and Tony Silva. It's always the same start, Tony, every time. Well, so, there's some comfort in that, isn't there? I, I, I hope there's some comfort <laughs> in I don't that. Want you to be, I don't want you suddenly to be somebody else. That would be disturbing. Okay, and it, it's good that I remind myself of who I am and who I'm talking to. You hmm. can tell who I'm talking to. That's also helpful. Right. And this is episode 168, which is going to be kind of like a retrospective on our careers in a way. Yeah, not just not just on the year, but like on the career and even rhymes. Yeah. Does that? Wait, it rhymes? Years, careers. Oh, I was thinking retrospective (laughs) (laughs) and careers. And I'm kind of going, man, I'm getting old. Something is definitely wrong. There you are. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Okay. (laughs) So in case you haven't noticed, this is about two old guys. Tony, how old are you now? The hell with you? Um, actually, right now, as we record, I'm 69. Uh, but when this, is, when this drops on uh, New Year's Day, I will be 70. Wow. Wow, yeah. yeah. Wow, you're an old guy. Far out, man. And I'll still be 65 when this drops on January 1st. So, but I'll be 66 next year. So, basically, this is Tony and I kind of looking back at our times in Japan as educators. Yeah, yeah, and this is these are grandpa stories. <laughs> would you just stop this, please, and just let me finish the intro? You know what? Why don't you do the intro? Okay. <laughs> you can finish it. But, yeah, grandpa stories. You know, two old guys Um, Tony's retired and I'm nearing my retirement, trying to kind of look back and see, you know, what changed and what hasn't changed in Japan and in university education. Maybe some comments about, you know, things that have changed in society as well, but really with a focus on what we saw, you know, changing and not changing over both of us, what, 30 plus years easily, right? Yes, yes. So that's what we're going to do. And speaking of that, so we're talking about 30 plus years. Tony, why don't you just give us a quick, um, you know, explanation, description of how you ended up in Japan? Okay, well, we won't, I won't get into the why, but because um, that we've covered it before, but that's a long, 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 long story. But if you do the how, it's going to be I got on the airplane. <laughs> I started off my first year here uh, was nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine, and it was uh, a stint at a private education school when that was a thing. It used to be, um, actually, quite common, very, com- very common, um, and did it as. Um, Kind of an exploratory experience. Like, I took a year leave of absence from my job at a university in Chicago. Uh, went back to Chicago at the end of that stint. Um, realized that that going back to that life was really pretty boring, and immediately started making plans to get back to Japan for a few years. <laughs> and uh, did come back in 1991 and taught uh, for five, six, seven years at a. Semongako in, in South Osaka. Um, about halfway through that stint realized, as a lot of people did not, looking at demographics and, you know, the writing on the wall, et cetera, et cetera, started moving over to junior colleges and uh, universities and uh, made that final shift. I guess by 1997, 1998, I was like exclusively at universities. And that's it in a nutshell. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. We both came to Japan the same year. I mm. came in 1988. And real quickly, what basically happened is I turned 30 and I graduated from university after 12 years. Yes, that's a, not that's not a mistake. I took 12 years because I took time off to travel and work. And I fin- came to the end of a five-year relationship all within like a one-month period of time. And I thought, okay, this is the universe telling me this is time to make a change. So I thought about what I wanted to do, and I studied Aikido, and I had some Japanese friends, American-Japanese or Japanese-American friends. And one thing led to another. I got a connection, and I taught at a private English school just like you in Aikaiwa. Came for a year, met somebody who then 
was able to give me some classes at a junior college and then thought I'd stay for a couple of years and here I am. <laughs> so that's how we both got here. So 1988 is right before what was commonly called the bubble, right? Well, I, I was, uh, yeah. No, I was the bubble to... came to an end, I mean. The bubble yeah, came to an end. Yeah, it just burst. But, but right people didn't know it. 88, 89. <laughs> but people weren't aware of it yet. They thought it was still going on. Right. But yeah, it was like the, the timing was impeccable, right? We got right. here right at the end of both the economic boom, you know, where people were still thinking that 21st century was going to be the, the Japan century. Right. And you know, on, a, on a more micro level, that golden era of like for English teachers and like especially for young people, you're not going to be able to accept this. I understand that. But back then, 85, 86, 87, if you were a, a white foreigner getting off the plane in uh, – we were in Osaka, so that was uh, at Itami. There were people at the airport trying to give you a job. As you got out of customs and immigration, you got your bags, you're trying to get onto a taxi or a shuttle bus or whatever it was. People were there trying to offer you a job. And if you were in the least savvy, you would get you know a job at a university, maybe a full-time job, maybe a full-time tenured job. And even if it was a part-time job, it was like, hi, what do you want to teach? What days would you like to teach? That was the world that was just evaporating as Charles and I arrived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, again, if given the current job market. I know people who came to Japan who had like a bachelor's in like, I think somebody was like in marine engineering. Uh -huh. And they were offered a full-time tenured position at a university. Not uncommon. Right. That's how it was. And so when we talk about one of the things that has really changed, I think that's the biggest change is, uh, you Oof. know, that now people expect you to have a PhD to teach first year English classes. Yeah. Right. The con which is, you know, we've talked about this before, about the absurdity of that. And that, of course, is just representative representative of you know, people who think that research is most important and people who are good at research are good at teaching. Yep. You know, or, you know, because I, I mean, I, I don't understand why anybody needs my publications for a part-time job. Because it's you know? quantifiable. Yes, I understand. <laughs> like, it's like, it's, it's okay, enough, enough. I understand that. Well, but the listeners yeah. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So one thing that hasn't changed is my inability to understand who I'm talking to <laughs> and explaining things. But that I fact that now it went from having just a BA, then there was the requirement for a master's. And I see so many positions that require PhDs now. Sure. PhD even plus. Though, right. Even though they're really basically teaching positions. But I think – it's people, the universities just want more publications coming out of their schools so that they can increase their rankings in whatever ranking system they're interested in, you know, their world rankings. Right. That seemed, yeah, that's something else that has changed, by the way, Tony, is this. I keep seeing messages and, you know, that the school wants to improve its world rankings or something, mm. which, of course, is uh, always something to. Look askance at or askew, whatever the word. Especially, you know, especially in Japan, you know, what the criteria might be, and it's like, well, how are you going to be able to impact that with your English conversation class? Right, which, which emphasizes course. conversation rather than test results. But anyway, okay. yes, okay. There's something that hasn't changed either. Is that, <laughs> That's right. You know, the idea that you're you're hired to create an environment, a learning environment, so students can learn English and be able to speak English and use their English. And guess what? You get your students for 90 minutes a week. Yeah, right. And that, you know, we've talked about that. Oh, man, the, 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 the classic one is like failure by design. Which is, you know, something you've We're really proud so of that times. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good example. So that's something that hasn't changed. But I'll tell you something – Oh, another thing that has that, that I'll tell you something that has changed 
is that the semesters are longer, and, <laughs> which means that the vacations are shorter. Right when we started teaching, I think the semesters were twelve weeks long. They each, each school was a little bit different, and but it was uh, they had different policies. 12. But you basically, they, ostensibly, it was fourteen, but you were allowed, depending on your school, X number of sick days, and then you had a minimum that you had to do. And if you had hit the minimum, then you could do the makeups. But the minimums could be as as low as eleven or twelve weeks. So you could teach would- twelve weeks. Huh, that's interesting because I remember twelve week semesters pretty clearly, but uh, could be. Well, it depends on the memory. school, right? Right. So the schools I were te- I was teaching at, the schools where I were, where I was. Okay, you can see that I have no right to be teaching English. No, it's but, New, it's New Year's party party. Okay, <laughs> we're twelve week semesters, and now. Mm-hmm. I have 15 to 16 week semesters. Yeah. But 15 plus a finals thing. That's crazy. Right. And here's the thing that hasn't changed <laughs> is my pay. <laughs> Ain't my, that a kick in the head? <laughs> my pay has not changed. And in fact, in some places, it's gone down. I'm telling you that that, that pay question, and you know, I, I have some people around me that, that argue with me all the time, but. Yeah, absolutely. So when I came in 88 and then in 91, um, it was a – not huge, but it was a significant salary increase. But as you said, the salaries in Japan have pretty much been frozen since then. Um, and by the time that um, I was uh, getting ready to retire – not even retired, but getting ready to retire – um, talking to my colleagues that I worked with at the university, had I stayed in my former position, my pension, which I would have been eligible for at 55, would have been more money than I was making in Japan teaching 18 coma a week. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> That's strange. Yeah, but uh, in all honesty, I, I would I wouldn't switch those situations. I got my money's worth. I guess it was a uh, it, it was a wonderful experience teaching all those years, oh, despite all the all, all the you know the lies in the ointment. Okay, all right. So <laughs> we got the pay thing and the longer semesters out of the way. All right, good. <laughs> okay, so. What's something I'm thinking about change and I'm, you know, kind of just thinking that there's really, you know, we could talk about society and how society has changed, but I think that's a whole episode in itself, don't you? Kind of. It's pretty big. It's pretty right. big. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the one thing that that's semi it's not really society, uh, but something that's changed about societal structure where uh, in um, those days – uh, largely due to demographics, um, university admission was m- much more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had uh, a, lo- a large number of tandais, un- uh, junior colleges, women's colleges, um, and uh, s- school where I- kinds of schools where I taught, the Semongako, which are kind of a combination of community college and a trade school. Because students, there, there were there were enough young people, and there were fewer university seats, uh, so that university admission was competitive. And you know, you that came. This is where that um, stereotype of exam hell came from. University entrance examinations. They were huge uh, pressure cookers for high school students or even junior high school students uh, to get into. Uh, a good university, and it was it was competitive, so that if you were teaching in a university, the students you got were the upper crust. Well, that bar over years has slipped down a bit, and as you can tell, it's a lot easier to get into university than it was thirty years ago. This is true, and what has happened is that there has been a a fair number of colleges and universities that actually have closed down. 
Yeah, there are not oh, and, enough students. And, and then, yeah, you know, almost all the junior colleges are gone. Right. I don't think they do. There aren't. Are there any junior colleges left in Japan? I mean, I don't I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The ones so, that I taught are gone. Yeah. Right. And well, where we met was a junior college that went to four year. Mm-hmm. So they actually saw something. They actually saw the writing on the wall, somewhat or a little bit. But what's happened is because there's there were are were more openings than students applying for university um, seats. I guess, for lack of a better word, yeah. yeah. That there's been this kind of sucking up, so that. The top universities still get the top tier students, sure. But there's a smaller number of those top tier students, so they bring up students who would not have been able to make it before. Absolutely, from the tier below them, and this just goes, you know, it's turtle. And it's all palpable. The way down. You can you can tell. You can feel it. Yes, and that's what I was going to say. So something that has changed, and but this might be every teacher throughout history, you know, in every generation of teachers, but there has been a decline. In, I think, students' abilities overall, there's been a definite decline in students' manners and attitudes towards teachers, for sure. And I'm very certain that there has been a change, and you have pointed this out, Tony, in the number of students who are interested in going overseas for learning. That's a big change. I think we've talked about this. It used to be that that was the goal for so many students, right? That was really, really s- strong motivational uh, factor with the with kids back then. Everybody was the, the women, especially the women, were extremely interested in getting out of Japan. Yes, um, but even the even the among the the, the males, um, there was that curiosity and uh, kind of underlying belief that, like, yeah, there was. This great opportunity out there, and there, there's something to be, something to strive for, which is totally absent these days. It's, 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 all the students, not all, of course, but the the, the big trend is is so inward focused, so introspective that it's like really, um, there's not much interest in what's happening outside Japan. It does seem that way, except for K-pop. Yeah, I guess so. I guess for yeah, the Korean stuff. But I, mm. I wanted, to, I do want to like maybe make a modification to the other thing you said about students' manners and attitudes. I, I, it has changed, no question. But I think there's a, there was like a hump. Um, so like when we got here, uh, again, it was so competitive that when students got into a university, uh, they were so thrilled and so honored that they were motivated by that. That, that, was a, that was a thing. Then as the demographics changed and it got easier and easier, that kind of respect or acknowledgement for the accomplishment kind of dwindled and it was like devalued. Um, but then, and there was a, and it was, there were a few years there where it was awful. It was really just really awful. Oh, these were the bubble kids. Yes. Yeah, the, the kids entitled. Who were raised the entitled. Yes. Yeah, they were raised in the bubble. They 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 assumed that like gold flakes on sushi was normal, and they were, you know, again they they were still living in the nineteen eighties mindset. It's like yeah, the, the world is theirs. It's like yeah, you read the papers lately. <laughs> um, and then nineteen ninety five, right? Yes, exactly. And they were they they were so hard to teach. They were so hard to teach, and then that kind of corrected a bit. Uh, and, I, and I don't know what's happened really recently, but that 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 effect did not seem to take. Uh, yeah, there was about a three-year period of time where I was totally like and consistently and constantly shocked by the behavior of my students. Uh, yeah, and, and a lot of people talked about leaving for that right. specific reason. It was I awful. Remember, I remember that the conversations in the teachers' rooms were just about what is wrong with these kids because yeah. they just, you know, you're right. They really had a sense of entitlement. And this was made so much worse by the, by the school's attitudes because that's when the demographic thing <laughs> yeah. started hitting. Yeah. And the, student the numbers became were consumer. going down. 
And exactly, the students are our customers.、Mm. And suddenly, you were getting comments from your supervisors, who were getting comments from the school, that a student was upset that you had told them that they were not performing properly.、Mm. You remember those? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That was a unpleasant time. Yeah, it was a bad so, era. <laughs> I can, yeah, so I would say, right? You know, that's good that you mentioned that because compared to that period, the students now are still far much better. But compared to when I first got here, there seems to be a little bit less. I don't know. The manners of the students seem to just be a little bit worse. For example, when I first started, or maybe it's a comment on my teaching. I don't know. But at the end of the year, when you would say "Happy New Year," "Merry Christmas," "See you next year," every student walking out of the room would say "Happy New Year" or "Merry Christmas." Right?、Mm. Now they just walk out of the room, and I, I'm wondering whether or not it's those bubble parents or those bubble kids that I'm teaching those the kids of those bubble kids. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe it、and、might I, be. I, I, yeah. I'm just saying. Overall, I mean, the, the students are nice, but there's definitely not near the amount of、uh, manners. But more importantly, I want to go back to what we were saying about the desire to go overseas.、Mm. To some degree, they just seem less curious about the world. Oh, absolutely, and absolutely. They and the, the other thing I wanted to say that's changed, and I don't know how it relates to this, and we talked about this before, is I seem to be. Feeling that there, or seeing, or sensing that there are a lot more—I don't know how to put it—depressed students, students、okay. who seem to be struggling with, you know, their their personal psychologies. That uh, they're, you know, a lot of students just don't seem to be happy. Well, I think that's a, that a lot、it、of that. Could be that it's my class. I, I, I pick. <laughs> yeah, could be, but <laughs> but that wouldn't have changed. But anyway, I think.、Um, That is not necessarily just a Japan thing. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of people in education are talking about this worldwide.、Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, right now we've, we're dealing with, or you are dealing with,、um, the the post COVID era and how that affected people. Be, you know, because kids they went through that when they were in high school, the formative years, and to have that kind of weirdness thrown in there. But also, you've got. The last ten years, let's say maybe more,、uh, social media thing, and they talk about how、uh, that over engagement、um, can or might be、uh, affecting their overall mental health and happiness and self image, etc., etc. I'm I don't know how much I buy into that. I certainly can agree that it's a factor. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not a professional mental health professional, but、um, I can certainly see the validity in those kinds of claims. And that might be it, part of it. So you've got the social media, you've got the COVID, you've got well, the depressing state of the world,、um, which is part of it.、Um, the Japanese economy is not great. It's not awful. Uh, but I don't know, and it, and I guess most graduates are are finding jobs, but、um, yeah, I don't know. It's a the the young people that the students are growing up in a really different world, and it, a world that has changed very quickly. A topic,、um, but、uh, that that's got to be a stressor. It's you know when the ground underneath your feet is is shifting so quickly. Uh, it can't be comfortable, I guess. So, no surprise, maybe. Jonathan Haidt has、yes. some interesting research about this that it's very much possible to track、um, student depression with the rise of SNS.、Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's an interesting book to read if you ever want to read one called "The Coddling of the American Mind,"、mm. which looks at. Ha- How students have become fragile, but he has some interesting、um, information in his book. For example, that talks about when we were growing up, there was lots of unsupervised play. Oh man! And, yeah, and that <laughs> when 
that meant that there was lots of negotiating and arguing between kids, and kids had to find ways to find solutions to problems. And recently, and I don't know how I'm going to define recently, the last 20 mm. years maybe, I don't know, that young people, children are raised constantly in supervised situations. So there's no like free-range children, correct, so to correct. speak. So I think that also has effects in it. You know, in terms of what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Okay. But here's something that has changed for sure, which is the number of women in the science faculties. Okay. I'm seeing many more women who are like studying chemistry and engineering and the sciences. I mean, it, but when I say many, I'm really going from zero to Yeah, zero to I'm three. I'm not sure what. No, it's more than that, I think. Mm. But that's been a change. And there's also been an increase in the number of um, women faculty, which is noticeable, at least in my experience. Where Do, I do you see it in, like in upper level positions like deans and things? Well, I remember. Because I don't know. Because in, in, in like my memory, well, of course, at women's universities, they, that was the case. But even like at some, uh, not at the large public universities, but. Not to get too specific here, but one of the large private schools that we've, that both of us have taught at, there were always quite a few women in high positions, and not, not, not just faculty positions, but like in in dean, you know, deanships. Hmm. Well, I know that there's since I've been at my school, there's been four deans, and one was a woman. Hmm. So, and I'm not sure about the the incoming dean. But, for example, when I first came to my school, the department had, I think, one woman teacher. And there was a period of time where there were, and so out of six or seven faculty members, and we got to a point where there were two men and the rest of the faculty in our department were women. So that has changed. That has changed. So when we talk about things that have changed. Mm. Um, and I just want to mention something about society that has changed, though, because it's kind of connected to that, is that one of the things that was the biggest change in terms of society, and I'm, I know I'm going sideways here, is that when I first came to Japan, you would never see a father playing with a young child under the age of like 10. Okay. Weekend, right? And now I see fathers pushing baby you know, strollers. I see fathers carrying infants, you know, in those, you know, infant carriers. I see fathers playing with their children. And I think so that's a real positive thing that I've seen. And I just wanted just to mention that to say that. Yeah, I think that that's really huge. And uh, that's that, huge. That it's those huge. kinds of changes in society are really big. And I saw it. Um, I saw the whole, the, the whole, the whole change the whole range of behavior changes um and it was easier to see because for a large number of years when i was living uh uh in a in a suburban area between osaka and japan i lived in osaka too um which is more provincial more conservative and yeah and you you go there and you, you and it was a you know, suburb and it's like for the first time i was seeing families together and it's like mm. And then over the years, you saw that behavior kind of spread even into the city and in, in the more conservative provincial areas. And that has got to be a good thing. Okay. Yeah. I and think it, it's it, 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 it hooks in a little bit thing. with the, with the maybe, but, you know, with the students that you were talking a little bit a while ago um, about their manners and behavior. And for better or for worse, maybe. That was an indication of the same kind of dissolution of the old entrenched hierarchical system. Sensei, senpai, yeah, yeah. And so, so as that starts to dissolve, in interim, because 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 no one knows what to do, it comes off or it comes out, and 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 it is like. Disrespectful or a lack of manners, and and maybe it's one of those things that'll kind of settle out eventually. But maybe that's an indicator. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think my students are still far politer than probably what most of my colleagues back in America experience. 
No, you've never had students. a knife or a gun pulled on you. So yes, I have actually as a high school teacher yes, in Japan. Oh no, in Japan. No. Yeah, no, no, right, exactly, exactly. I was like, what? And even when I say that they're not as respectful as they used to be, they're still far more respectful in their own ways than mm. my students were. I mean, you know, for example, the fact that students will just try to sleep in class. Right. <laughs> but that's not common in my classes anymore because I tell students, you know, if I can't sleep, you can't sleep. Okay. It <laughs> seems to be fair. So, okay, let's move back to maybe things that have changed and not changed again. Mm. Um, You're going to get to tech? Could, yeah, we could go, right? Remember? Because it's a big one. We've got to be careful, yeah. but it's, a, it's huge. Tape cassettes. And the little portable <laughs> VCRs. Right. Well, that was that was a big advancement. Remember, because usually you'd oh, go hell? into and it was a, controversial, right? But remember, yeah, right. You'd go into a room, and usually you'd have like either a tape. No, you would usually you would not have a tape player in the room. There would be no audio visual. Be a huge AV cart rack. that they would pull in with the television mm-hmm. and the VCR on it. Right, but that was. But remember, before we only had the cassette player. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember you only had the cassette player and that before class you'd always have to like make sure you were at the right point because you know searching for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Zero, so we started with cassette three, tapes. Point 0.367, whatever that meant. Right. So and then it went and I remember with the video cassette players. And the idea that you could play videos in class and you're mm-hmm. right, that was controversial. Some, That's not teaching. Right. How, you know, that's no, we don't need that. And of course, now we uh, like how quaint, <laughs> to put it politely. Hmm. The idea that students would be able to do a listening exercise while actually seeing the speaker hmm. and be able to replay that, right? Hmm. But still, what that did was, as this tech, and we'll talk about this, still kind of a teacher controlled, teacher centered tech. Yeah. Because the yeah. teacher had to control the video and the television. Yeah, there's a single point of information. Right. A single point of Here's the information. Receive it, please. Okay. And then I remember we got CDs and then laser discs. Remember laser discs? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, they were kind of like the size of like... Yeah, yeah, I know what they were, but I I don't... didn't use them much. And remember language labs? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Where you'd... Students would go in and they'd use special software, and you had to learn. Yeah, how yeah, to yeah. Use. Just like that, you got your headphones and you repeat on the recording yourself. Right. So there yeah. were language labs, and then I remember uh, Mary when, bought three pounds of apples. How many apples did Larry buy? <laughs> now, please say I bought three pounds of apples, right? And they'd repeat it in I some other piece of analyzer apples. or yeah. something. And what happened after that? I remember the first time. Pre- Projectors and LAN connections came in, Mm. right? That was the beginning of like when computers could be used. Yes. Right. So that was like the big change was from language labs, which were the first introduction to computers. And then, uh, you know, where students, rooms might have LAN connections for the teacher. And then later it moved to like sometimes students having LAN connections. And the big change, of course, was the wireless and bring-your-own-device, which has really been a post-COVID thing, I think. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing that it's taken so long? I, re- I remember, like you know, in different schools, different attitudes, um, and uh, remember looking at you know, and putting a class on task, and you know, they're in groups doing things, and just noting how many students had their own devices, right? Whether they were tablets or, or PCs. Um, you know, and it's like, ah, finally. Yes. It was not that long ago. <laughs> not that, and I, re- I remember the first, right? And the first one was like, it was in the, in the aughts, you know, 2005. It's like, finally, it's like I saw a kid, you know, he, he brought, he's an engineering student. Duh. Um, yeah, you know, they were in a group, and he—he he was the only one in the classroom with a with a electronic device, and it's, it was pretty amazing because you're talking about like um, the you know, the early days, and this was this had a, this is 1995, and um, I really remember this you know so clearly because I was at that Semongako, and I was screaming and pulling and pushing and trying to get the school to jump. Um, 
to, 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 to the tech. And, uh, I had a class. I managed to say, okay, I'm going to teach this class. I was teaching a class on internet English. This is 1995, 96. I remember, yeah. Yeah. The school, the school had one computer that we, with someone gave the school a Mac and it we, I managed to get it a dial up connection. And I was teaching class on internet English and I was teaching, uh, small, small students, advanced students. Six six kids maybe to eat, and everyone had to make their own um, web page. And I was like, okay, <laughs> we got to go to my office. We got to go to the, not my office. It's got the office, which is set up like a traditional Japanese, you know, hierarchical um, structure and everything else. I was like, well, okay, well, here's where the computer is. Come on, <laughs> come on over here, one at a time. And these kids were like, you know, teaching each other and working through the the HTML. And all of them are making their own web pages. Um, the whole school, you know, I'm six, seven hundred kids, one computer on a dial-up connection. Um, and, you know, okay, lots of resistance, lots of resentment, but we got it done. Um, we got it done. And um, as you said, like now, post-COVID, after a year or two of like teaching, you know, at home, um, yeah, the kids bringing their 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 stuff to school. It's just like for them, it's just part of a, what classroom experience is, right? And at my school, every kid pretty much has a computer, a laptop that's open during class, minimally a tablet. That's what they're so, used to, right? It's now normal for them. <laughs> yeah. So that's been. Yeah. A big change. What I thought was kind of funny, Tony, is the idea of internet English. I remember mm-hmm. that. And just mm-hmm. like, what a weird concept. And that's just, you know, for anyone who's too young to remember this, think about that. They, they actually had classes and would ask us, you know, people like you or me who they knew were playing around with tech to s- teach a class and, and it was called internet English. And I, and, and, uh, I have a textbook or, or two out there. So internet strange. English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange concept. Yeah. So there's all the tech things. And uh, the biggest change, I think, now for me as a teacher is the requirement that I use an LMS, a learning management system. And that's pretty much required at almost every school I work at. And, you know, I used to have my own website, and you did the same thing, and students would email homework, or I created, like, you know, drop systems for students to upload their homework. But actually, I got to a point where the student said, would you just please use the LMS? And I'm trying to explain, well, I don't want to learn another system. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with I you know. there, buddy. I'm I with mean, you there. Gee, oh, man, I was look. teaching at four different schools. It's like, I cannot deal with four different LMSs. You just got kids are just going to have to do it my way. Right. And, you know, the, the idea that, yeah, I think they're used to using it and they know how to use it. Okay. Yeah, well, they've learned the, the one, but each okay. one is so cumbersome and yes. so obscure. Yeah, let's not even get started. Yeah. There's something that hasn't changed, right, is our frustration <laughs> and the decisions uh, for tech made by people who seem to not be very aware of the tech or have definitely not used the tech. Oh, here's something that hasn't changed. Bad website design in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you mean? What do you well, mean, you know, Charles? You, you know, it's you, all you know, right there. <laughs> right. Well, you know, this is always – it always it's goes all, the same except way. Except what you want. Right. I'm looking at the website and I can't find what I want. And it might be, for example, like, you know, for example, what's my university co-op number? Because I obviously didn't keep the paper because this should obviously be something easy to get to. Or a calendar and, for the semester, for oh, example. I, I was about to talk about that. That's something that has changed. Oh. So oh. Anyway, let me finish real quickly and I'll come oh, back to cool. this. So. Anyway, so I was trying to find my university co-op number, and I can't find it. And I said, okay, it's obvious because, you know, I can't read the Japanese so well, or, you know, I've switched to translation. So I asked Izumi, my wife, who's, you know, Japanese, and it's like after about five minutes, Izumi's just like, who made this site? <laughs> so, but I want to go to that point. So when I've uh, – here's something that's really changed. When, I, when the universities first started putting up websites – 
they'd have all stuff, message from the president, blah, blah, blah. And everybody is go, trying to access the website for one simple thing. I actually asked my students about this, and I, you know, which is you want the academic calendar. You want to know when <laughs> classes are starting and when vaca- classes are ending so you know when vacations are starting and when your holidays are, It's right? a secret. <laughs> yes, it would take like something like seven, eight clicks. Yep. By the way, I'm a segue here. The worst thing I ever saw was when I was living in Hakodate. And I went to the Hakodate bus site because I wanted to find, you know, which bus to take, right? I could not find that information. (laughs) The site was filled with information about message from the president of the company, about the company, history of the company, history of buses, you know. All the things you really want to know. Nothing that I needed. (laughs) So what's happened now is that I can get to the academic calendar within two clicks, but most websites still don't have, right, a dedicated, you know, button on the homepage that says academic calendar. Academic calendar, uh, directions, how to get there. Well, they have the our classes. Our classes canceled today. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> These are the only things we really want to know. And like my teacher's email address. It's like, uh, you don't need anything else. <laughs> Let me see. Let me see. You my university has my email address, and there's an emergency system, right, mm-hmm. where they can email us to check if we're okay. But if you cancel classes, you can't email me about that, and you still require me to go, like, you know, check. And then the websites are not updated in time, right? <laughs> of course So not. you have to, like, what is it that they say? In cases of, like, when during typhoons for heavy rains, you have to check on the television or something. So a lot of the schools... Yeah, it depends what the radio or the TV says at 6.45. It's like, well, right. I leave at 6.30 to get there on time. Uh, that or doesn't help me. sometimes you leave at 6.15. Yeah, well, but be- whatever, the before is- the time is, right? Before the check time. It's like... Right. So, and I've done that n- number of times. I've gone, you know, I just, I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave. And I get to Umeda, I get the center of the city, and as I go check again, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going back home. Yeah. I, I once had knew somebody who had one of these situations where they went to the school and the class cancellation notice had gone out like 10 minutes before class started. <laughs> and at that class, that school, you would have been paid for the cancellation. No, no, no. You would – I forget how it worked, but for some reason, the school he went to would not pay for cancellation. Right. And the school he didn't have to go to would pay for cancellation, and it all got reversed. And I remember that he, like, just <laughs> – poor guy got hit really hard that day about the teaching, you know. In other words, he went to a school, and its classes were canceled, so he didn't pay, and then – yeah, whatever. I forget the exact thing. So anyway, that's something that's kind of been not changed is the <laughs> inability to use tech properly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. here's something that hasn't changed, by the way. You know the locked cabinets that have like the remote control for the projector? Uh-huh. I, Those, had to, I didn't ever had to deal with much of that, but I do know what you're talking about. Every time I have to go one place, I have to pick up a key. I then go up to my classroom, and then I can unlock this little cabinet where they have, like, the, you know, some kind of amplifier or something, some kind of electronic devices, and there's the remote control. Uh. Why can't you just leave the remote control on the, on the lectern? And I don't know. I don't know why I didn't think about this before because, I, again, I didn't have this – and this degree of difficulty, and if I had, I might have thought about it. It's like, ask Santa for a universal remote control. And like, when you begin classes in spring, have that remote control programmed for any do kind those of those work <laughs> for projectors? They must. There must be a way to do it. Oh, that's genius. Why yeah. didn't I ever? Th- that's a genius. I, that's I a just genius idea. Now, there we go. We have to find out whether they work for projectors because there's got to be a program remote controls. Yeah. That work for televisions and stereos and things, right? And then um, media or, you know, AV amps and things, right? Yeah, there's got to be a way around it. Oh, oh no. Don't tell me I just learned this right before I retire. <laughs> <laughs> You've been waiting. You've been saving this to torture me. No, what I haven't thought about this idea, forever because I don't, yeah. That's brilliant. I, if it were, if it were to work, that would be the solution. Because I, lo- I was lucky at schools. I had just like, it wasn't. 
it wasn't a big enough impediment to look for an alternate solution. It was it was easy enough, but had it been hard enough. <laughs> that's just, that's such a brilliant idea. That's I mean that's I think the best idea ever that you've come up with. Mm. Wow. That'd be yeah, that'd be cool, right? Okay. Or like or if <laughs> I know I'm reaching here, but imagine the school giving each teacher <laughs> a universal remote that works sim- on everything in the school. Or why oh. not just simplify it and just who's going to steal steal a remote? <sighs> what are they gonna do? Take the batteries? You're going into uncharted waters, Charles. No, I keep. I know, I know. It's kind of like (laughs) who designed this website? Who designed this LMS? Did you ever use this thing? So that's something else that hasn't changed. But I don't want to start going (laughs) negative. Um, How about let's move to kind of like how about approaches to teaching changes? Yeah, that's my question because for me, not much because. So much of what I do is really kind of focused on and driven by the student slash students that I'm teaching. Um, if there's one thing that um, for me in my personal teaching that I changed over the years, uh, and it's also kind of supported by research, um, to get, move away from from the time when I was like you know beginning you know, a novice, uh, the moved away from the importance of correcting mistakes, mm. um, b- moving way more toward peer evaluation, um, like much more general comments and getting away from the, the, the micro correction that a lot of people get hung up on. Um, but, uh, that's maybe the biggest thing. And, you know, again, it's, 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 it's based in research, but it's also, you know, kind of, Instinctive as the experience. It's and uh, I remember one of one of my students says, "Well, when are you going to give me corrections on my paper?" I go, "Never, never." <laughs> I was like, "You know, this is this is our university. At this university, I teach 180 students on this one day, and you all give me an assignment. I have like this class, and I have like four other days of classes. Just think about if I give your Assignment, 10 minutes, and you multiply that times my 600 students that I teach every week. Think about how much time that would be. Not only is it impossible, but the research shows blah, 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 blah. And it says, think about it as like like being a coach. It's like, what's if I'm your coach and you're, and you're the quarterback and it's, it's running, the important thing is that you run for 20 minutes. The important, the important, the, it's not important if I watch you and give you comments on how you're running. What makes a difference is that you're running. Okay. But I guess maybe that's the biggest change. Maybe <laughs> learning to speak more slowly. <laughs> when necessary, um, and maybe just over time, better refining <clears throat> um, ways of explaining things simply. Okay. But not much. I, I think that the you know the teaching that the tech has changed. I'd be hard pressed. It's like, well, are you using it more? Are you using it less? I think for me, I'm using it more. We're using it more because I'm using. You know the the net just to like outside information resources et cetera et cetera things for the directing them to things outside of class because it's tech. But in the past, it might have been you know just like go to the library and look for this. Um, yeah, not so much. I, I and I think neither of us really, as you mentioned earlier, like this. Um, the religion of methods. I don't think either of us got hung up on that. Um, and just the, you know, usual relabeling of the whole other, <laughs> of the old stuff, you know, just repackaging of, of old methodologies. Um, so for me, maybe not so much. I don't know. What about you? Yeah. Well, I'm, I, of course, my teaching is perfect, and I was way ahead of the curve, of course. Um, you, can't, you, I, can't, you can't improve on perfection. 
You're right. So I just might as well stop here. But the the thing that I would say to people is when I would think about most of the native speakers and how they would teach their classes, and most of the at least most of the native English teachers I knew who were teaching. Uh, or who at least I was talking with, always had what was called, used what, you know, the communicative approach, which is interaction and engagement and having students produce and not focusing on, you know, error correction Mm. was pretty much the norm. And I would say that we represent the cutting edge of teaching technology, so to speak, in Japan. And I think that's kind of made me sad. What I think has not changed in my teaching has been that focus on engagement. You know, what I tell my students always, I say, I don't want to work. I want you to work. Yeah, you know, exactly. Right? I'm, you know, that's, like, my, that's my job, to make you right. work. The more I talk, the less you learn. And you've already had five years of sitting there and studying and studying, and you can't learn to swim if you don't go in the water kind of thing. That has not changed. My classes, as much as possible, I try to keep them as you know interactive as possible. I hate the term active learning. I hate that term. I hate that term. I wish it would be excised from the language. Yeah, I hate all the terms. Yeah, well, I hate everything, so they're... <laughs> <laughs> okay, you win. <laughs> All right, game over. Slam dunk on that one. We just went from I went to eleven, but uh, yeah, the bit the I haven't changed that way. But one of the things is that students and especially people studying the field are really not taught the history of the field, so you can see how many fads there are. Yeah. You know, and it goes in cycles. So, for example, when we came in 88, that whole communicative method, ignore grammar, grammar's not necessary, just give students a lot of free time, et cetera, that's unstructured, was very big. And it's like, okay. And then we're now cycling into, you know, more of a focus on grammar and, for example, vocabulary learning. Um, there seems to be, you know, an understanding of you really do need to just get those vocabulary cards out or use an app because you just have to memorize. Whereas before it was like this whole thing about the natural method and that if we could create a natural environment in the classroom. Remember the natural method? What about the silent method? Oh, the silent method. Oh, yeah. What, <laughs> was that the one with the sticks? I think so. I think it had certain sticks and each stick meant like, you know, like was a different color or length or something. And students had to interpret what the teacher was saying. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Even I knew, even I knew back then that this was not a method to embrace. Um, But one of the things that has been positive, by the way, talking about methods is like, for example, task-based learning or task-based teaching was very big for a while. And there's a lot to be said for task-based teaching that, you know, give students something to achieve, a goal. And, you know, we can talk about project-based learning and problems-based learning and student-centered learning, teacher-centered, stuff like this. We all go through all these things. But what's happened, I've noticed, and this is, I think, a really nice improvement, is, for example, with task-based learning, it's moved into, I see, more task-based activity, or activities. And it's the understanding that instead of having this method that applies all the time, you have like, you know, communicative activity, a task-based activity, a problem-based learning activity. Instead of having a methodology, we understand that we need to downsize these things and use that. And by the way, I want to just recommend to all our listeners that there's a TED Talk by Malcolm Gladwell called Choice, Happiness, and Spaghetti Sauce. And it's a really interesting presentation, but he talks about a, um, a guy named Herbert Moskowitz who was tasked by Pepsi to figure out what was the correct amount of um, artificial sweetener to get the right amount of sweetness for a Pepsi. And it c- goes on, and the guy finds that there's no perfect point, that there are clusters that people like. And Malcolm Gladwell came out with this great line that says, there is no perfect Pepsi, there are only perfect Pepsis. And that idea of, you know, we need to basically stop, you know, having like this monolithic idea of what happens in a class and the ability to, what is it called? Differentiated learning, right? 
And differentiated learning means trying to adjust for the different clusters of students. Because as we've talked about in the past, Tony, right, variability within a class is far greater than variability and variation between classes in terms of levels. Right. And, you know, how do I do that? And we've talked also about this is what's beautiful about ChatGPT is that it can it can generate those different levels. So that's been a change. There's been this also another change real quickly is this whole thing about diversity. I keep hearing about diversity and diversity committees and stuff. And, you know, you want to talk to people and say, I'm not sure what I, you mean by diversity. But I, there seems to be a growing awareness of what I would call cognitive diversity, which is a big improvement on learning styles. I remember because learning styles was really a big thing, and that's been right. debunked, right? And we now know actually that if a student has a preferred learning style, you should not teach that way. You should teach the way they hate because that requires them to use more cognitive processing and they'll retain things and remember things better. But the quality, I think, of the research and what's being um, put out by people has like become far more interesting to me. Uh, I don't see a lot of studies that deal with the fact of that this works for this level of student and this kind of method works with this kind of student or this kind of activity. So, I mean, there are some changes and not so many changes. Um, ah, I'll tell you something that hasn't changed. I'm, I know I'm jumping around here because we're getting close to the end is curriculum development. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I remember people were revising the curriculum and they were talking about it. And I said, oh, what kind of curriculum design method are you using? And I was met with like these blank looks. And, you know, it's just what happens hasn't changed is that the people who get tasked to develop things often in universities, I think, at least here might not have expertise in those fields. But they're put on the committees or they're assigned with these responsibilities. And that, I think, has not changed so much. Uh, the emphasis on tests and testing, that really hasn't changed so much, right? Entrance exams are still big. The entrance exams basically still measure, you know, can you recall things? Um, a lot of top-down decision-making. Uh Right. Um, oh, you know, and here's my biggest complaint about something that hasn't changed is the interest in people at the upper levels in um, finding out what actual classroom teachers think and what their ideas and opinions are. Yeah, that's, that, that hasn't itself changed is pretty at all. tragic and it's, it's very real. And yeah, I don't see that ever changing. Right. No, I hope and, I'm wrong. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's hard. It's like yeah, no one, no one asked the folks in the trenches what right exactly what, what's necessary, what could make things better, you know, and no one, how how can we make this better? Period. It's, it's like not not asking them to like make the big decisions, but it's like okay, well, you know, you're you're doing the job. What would what would what would result in better results? I mean, you can ask like what would make your job easier? That'd be nice, but like you know. Let's let's get to that later on. But it's like okay, how can how can we improve things? Period. That question never gets asked. Yeah, it never gets asked. The same question is, what can we do for you? How yeah. can we help you? You know, teach better, right? Uh, and the worst thing is, is that I think at most universities, like English classes, sixty percent of the classes or higher are taught by part time adjunct professors. And those people never get asked anything. Yeah, but 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 in, I must say that when you were a director, you asked that question all the time. Okay, well, anyway, so right, thanks. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> okay, there's my compliment for the year. Okay, it's already gone, so now I have to go through the rest of the year until the following year waiting for a compliment. Well, but, everybody out there, let it be known that Charles did a really good job when he was a director, really engaging the part-time staff and always asked them for input even when even when it meant scrapping his whole plan for the year for, that I'd worked and on going for what, back like to the blackboard year? and it's like yeah that was great but but hey the results were outstanding well, I, man they're outstanding yeah i remember that moment it was like <laughs> oh well <laughs> so much for that work but you know the okay 
And here's something else that hasn't changed: is that the university doesn't seem to identify what, or I don't know, not necessarily my university, but universities in general and schools in general, to identify the skills and the abilities of people and figure out ways to optimize how to or optimize those skills and abilities to improve the school. Anyway, so I, I guess think, your drugs are kicking in right now because that sounds like a, okay. like a fantasy to me. But yeah, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> okay, yeah. So anyway, I think that you know, I mean, okay, I look back over the teaching, and you know, I've had a really good time. And I'll be really honest, and I've talked privately with this to you, but I think you know, I'll just say this, and if anybody's listening, to really think about this. When I came to Japan in '88. And I met some people. I remember the goal was to get a university teaching job. That was the pinnacle of success. <laughs> and I think if I, and I've, I, you know, I, I do love Japan, and I think this is a fantastic country, even with all the complaints. Because if you truly love a country, right? If you're like, for we're Americans, right? And we say, if you truly love America, you will see what's wrong and try to fix it. Yeah, you will not and- ignore what's wrong. And the same thing. There are things in Japan that are just, you know, really mind bending to me. But I love <laughs> this place, and the people are, you know, in the, you know that's you know the study supposedly. I've heard this. I can't confirm it. That NASA did a study and tried to figure out, like, you know, which culture or which nation's people would be best for, you know, a flight to Mars or something that would take three years. And they came to the conclusion that a Japanese crew was best. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> They respect each other's privacy in space, right? No pun intended on space. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But yeah, if I were going to do this again, I would have like tried to get um, a teaching job at an international school Mm -hmm. and teach high school. And I think I would have been happier over the long term. And that's kind of a regret, but I've had some great things. And, you know, now I'm also going to, I have to do this. I want to put this out, you know, to. If um, any of my former Zemi students, seminar students are listening, I want to thank you all. I want to just thank you guys for how, you know, that was great. Having the opportunity to work closely with students on a research topic of their interest, help them discover things and see what they would do and the stuff they taught me, you know, that was like something that was great. But anyway, I just wanted to put that out there, you know, which is thank you to all the students who, you know, and not in just in my seminars, but in classes who made efforts, who tried to do their best. And, you know, apologies to all the students who I couldn't help, you know, or, you know, the stu- you know, talk about the depressed students, the ones I missed mm. and stuff. But overall, you know, it's been interesting. But I don't think if we asked a teacher who'd been teaching since 1988 in America, whether they'd have that many different you know, it's an interesting thing. We should interview some people who are, mm. you know, teachers. Ah, you know, I should do that. I should ask one of my friends who retired like last year. Be an interesting who, contrast. To see whether they feel the same way and, and felt the same way. Okay. Yeah. And anyway. it's like for me, like in that thing, like listening to you, it's like as before you got onto that, the one thing I was going to talk about is that um, for me, with all the changes and things, it's um, what that, that all seems rather peripheral. Because, you know, for almost all, almost all those years, uh, being a, uh, you know, part-time teacher, uh, my, my teaching life there has been, it's been all about the students. And, uh, regardless of level, uh, regardless of which school it was, um, the, the high points have always been the related to student interaction, mm-hmm. um, seeing, you know, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's after the class ends, and seeing them uh, succeed later in life, it's just like, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a wonderful ride, um, and um, the other thing that uh, you, you talked about a little bit regrets or something, but yeah, one one mistake that I made for a long time. So like I came to Japan, it's like again, uh, eighty eight. I was already thirty five or so. Um, and you know, with my American perspective, didn't get a lot of guidance and it was, uh, I, I, I partly underestimated my abilities. I thought, well, I'm only 35. I'm only 40. I can't apply for a tenure position because I'm way too young. Mm. And then when I later on, when I says, okay, now I've got enough experience, I've got enough confidence, uh, I started yeah. applying for, yeah, you got it. It's like, 
no, you're you're 50 years old. You're too old. You're yeah. 50 is too old. Um so, um for young listeners out there, don't sell yourself short. Go for the gold ring. Um believe me, you'll be fine. <laughs> the water the, the the water might look really deep. Nah. <laughs> You can you can do it. Um, don't sell yourself short. Um, it's a really different scale. It's a different perspective. Um, yeah, uh, we talked about the a little bit. We just mentioned a couple of times the hierarchical society and like the age thing. But it's like the it's 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 so silly. Um, but Japanese universities, as somebody who's fifty years old, we don't want to hire that person because. We're going to have to pay him or her more money because they're 50 years old. We want to, we want to hire somebody who's 35 so we can pay them less money. Yeah. You know, that yeah. is actually, <laughs> I, like, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that at my university right yep. now where they're half, uh, you know, they're saying that they ha- they're hiring young people who don't have a lot of teaching experience. And our <laughs> department has, you know, some pretty interesting attrition, you know. Um, we've lost a bunch of people who've moved on and I'm retiring. And I think in two years, somebody else is retiring. And, you know, they're just, it's going to be a very young department, which actually, in many ways, it's a good thing, you know, it's in a many good ways. Thing. Fresh yeah. blood, fresh blood, fresh blood. Yeah. Okay, Tony. I think we've. I think that's it. Yeah. Well, there's more I could talk about. <laughs> well, there's always more we could talk about. <laughs> right. So, since so we'll see is... you next month. <laughs> right. And... So anyway, yeah. So end of the year, uh, New Year coming. Well, this is released on January first, right? Yes. So happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year. Hope 2024 is a fantastic and great year for you and your friends and your family and your colleagues. <laughs> yeah, 23 wasn't a great year, but it wasn't as bad as some of the ones that came before. I can I think I can say that with some with some glaring exceptions. Okay. And let's well, hope that when we do this next year, maybe um we can talk about what a great year it was. I hope so. Okay, Tony. All right, man. Happy New Year. Okay, everybody. Happy New Year. And so our usual ending, I'm Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. And we're Two Teachers Talking. And you can find us at twoteacherstalking.com, right? Gracias. Talking at gmail.com. Gracias. Some other stuff, too. Gracias. Okay, Tony. Happy New Year and uh, happy holidays. And be well. You too. You too. You too. All right.